All right. This will be message number 72, I think. 72 or 73 in our studying a law and gospel. Um, about 55, 56, 57 of those have been here. The rest have been uh, done for the podcast. And that's a lot of information that we've looked at and a lot of things that we've discussed. And I know, I mean, according to people on YouTube, I know that some of it has uh, been somewhat repetitive. And uh, we have an individual who on YouTube is very unhappy with the repetition. But, you know... um, I don't know. I don't know. How, 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 do you, how do you take that? How do you take that, right? On one hand, you're like, well, great. Uh, I, I do appreciate people telling you that, right? Like, okay. But I mean, it, it's kind of always, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing in how to look at it. Like someone online says, hey, you're being too repetitive. But then if I, if I ask you guys certain questions and you don't answer a certain way, Does that tell me, like, okay, you think I'm too repetitive, but what I indicate here may mean I need to do more repetition. Well, which which one should be more important to me? Obviously, the people sitting in this room, right? Because you're the ones who support support it. Some person who did a a drive-by and listened to some podcasts, like, you're too repetitive, I'm moving on. Well, I'm so sorry, I I don't know who you are, and you, I mean... I, I, I got I to focus on the people who, who make this all possible, right? That's the people here. So making sure you know it. Now, you may feel that it's too repetitive, but at the same time, um, e- even if you go through Scripture, there's a lot of things that are repetitive, right? I mean, there's a lot of things. Leviticus can be repetitive, right? Yes, okay. In fact, sometimes when you read in the Old Testament, you're like, I, you've said this now 15 times. How many more ways are you going to say it? Sometimes reading the minor prophets, you're like, you're saying the same thing over and over and over and over. So if God can be repetitive, that, well, at least I think I can, all right? I, I, I think I can be. But at the same time, when you're dealing with an issue like law and gospel, it is repetitive. The, the book we're working through, it's repetitive, is it not? Okay, but it's a difficult subject. So let's, first of all, I understand it's repetitive, but let's do this. And even though the person, I mean, if I read the whole criticism, it, you know, it gets pretty, pretty mean, but that's okay. You know, whatever you, you gotta, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to take that. But, um, th- there are some other criticisms that they offered that I am going to try to take somewhat serious and I'll try to read because I think we'll add to this. But if you think about this series on law and gospel, we really kind of have two issues that we have been repetitive on. And the reason we've had to be so repetitive on it is because I don't know if you, I think people still don't completely understand some of these issues. So let's go through this. When we're dealing with the issue of law and gospel, the first major issue we've tried to struggle with is just the relationship between law and gospel, how to keep them, keep them distinct, what does it mean when you mix them together? And what does it look like? And so dealing with all of those issues related to law and gospel, right? So what is the law? What is the gospel? At what point do we, as we're trying to live out our Christian life, do we look to the law? And how do we look to the law? And do we look to the law to prove that we're saved? Or do we look to the gospel to prove that we're saved? There's all of those issues we've dealt with, right? And we've talked about them over and over and over. But I bet if I asked some questions, there would be a possibility that y'all still may not get the answers right. What do you think? Possibly, right? Okay. Which would demonstrate the need for what? More repetition, okay? So I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand my ground on that. But that, I think we can all agree there's a lot of issues surrounding law and gospel, right? What is law? What is gospel? Don't merge them. How do we keep them separate? And how does that play out in our Christian life? Right? Um, we, I've been reviewing a sermon on Romans chapter 8 where, once again, a sermon is preached. I mean, and this is one of the reasons we have to be so repetitive, but, you know, so, and someone emailed me and asked me to review this, this sermon, and in the sermon, guess what he says? You get saved, and now what, guess what you can do now? You can keep the law. Well, if I can keep the law, I would have to be sinless, but then they say, well, no, 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 you can't actually keep it perfectly, but somehow your imperfect keeping of the law is, is keeping the law. 
I don't know how that works. So, but see, but that's a view of the law that says what? That once you're saved, you can actually keep it. Meaning now that your Christian life can be judged by the law and it becomes law-based, right? Well, that's not gospel-based. You see how now the two get confused once again? So we have to keep talking about it over and over. And what's the second major issue that keeps coming up over and over in connection with our long gospel study? It's been the subject that we have talked about, some people say the most. In fact, some people say too much. We've talked about law and gospel. What's the other issue? And now see, the person listening online, <laughs> this is why I have to be repetitive. <laughs> okay, right. So what's the other big issue? We've talked about it a bazillion times. Mm-hmm. It's connected. See, there's... Okay, the, the issue of power, right? The issue of power, right? And what, what's, the, what, what's the question about power that we've been asking over and over and over? How much power do we get? Remember, we've been talking about this over and over. When you become a Christian, what's the typical evangelical teaching? That when you get saved, you get a power, right? Remember that that's like... Okay, everybody understand? We, we, you get this power, and then what can we do with this power? What's typically the way it's articulated in most churches? That we now have the power to say, no to sin, yes to God, right? That we have this power, and, and, all, and now, now they, they almost sell it as if we have enough power to be what? Perfect, yet then they, at some point they will always come in and say what? But... You can't be perfect. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Do I have the power? Do I not have the power? Do I have the power? Do I not have the power? And we've, we've talked about that over and over. You see how that relates to long gospel, right? If you believe you have the power, then the gospel really becomes this. The gospel is you believing in Jesus in order to get power so that you can now do what? Obey. So Jesus... Jesus may have died to forgive you for your past sins, but moving forward, you really have the power to stop sinning, which means from your, your life, does that make it gospel-based or law-based? Why is it law-based? Because now it's about what you are doing. It's no longer gospel-based, right? The Christian life now becomes based off what you are doing instead of based off the fact that Jesus came to save us because we could not keep the law, We cannot keep the law, and we will not keep the law. And so what's the basis of our relationship to Christ? Not law, but gospel, meaning what Jesus did for us, and him keeping the law for us, right? Does that that make sense? So this is a major change in how one perceives Christianity. And just to kind of show you some of the, the struggle here that people are having before we move on to the next thesis, and I don't want to take too much time with this, but, you know, if someone does offer criticism, I always try my best to, no matter, no matter how much I disagree with the criticism, I always try to take the criticism to heart, right? Because I always do this, even if, if, if I may write initially 1,000% disagree with someone and argue with them, but if you'll just be patient, you typically know what I do, right? I'm going to walk away and do what? I'm going to reconsider every aspect of it. I'm going to reconsider every... And, and sometimes it, it, makes, it bothers me because I don't think people realize that. Like, hey, I disagree with you, but just be patient because, because I'll go work on it and work on it and work on it and, I, and there's a, a high probability that I may come back and do what? I may change my entire position. Because about how, how committed am I to a specific, any specific truth? I have no commitment to a specific truth. I have a commitment. What, what's my commitment? To the pursuit of it, not committed to a specific one, right? Because whatever truth that I am currently committed to, what could that actually be in reality? It could be an error. And how do I know it could be an error? Because I'm not infallible, Right? So any truth that I'm grabbing onto, I'm more than willing to have it challenged and to try to constantly be looking, re-looking at it. So here's some of the criticism. This, in, this individual gave lots of, criti- 
lots of criticisms, okay? There's been a lot of them, all right? I don't even, yeah, there's been a lot, okay? So they just, this, this is the world of YouTube, okay? So here we go. They start with this. And I don't know if these are in chronological order. I'm just going to look at two really quick to try to, uh, because it's connected to everything that we've been doing, all right? It says, you seem very fixated on sanctification, not being perfect, even though the Spirit has infinite power. All right. Now, we have talked a lot about this, yes? And this is a constant struggle that I have. Because as Christians, we make a specific claim. That as a Christian, we are indwelt by what? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, right? And because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? One God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, right? What are some of the attributes then of the Holy Spirit? Okay, well, if, if it's God, it's got to have all the attributes of God. Okay, right. Okay, right. Wait, do what? Okay, okay. Well, immutable, doesn't change. Go on. Holy. Omnipotent, Omnipotent meaning? All powerful. Stop right there. Okay, now, if we have something inside of us that is all powerful, and that power is being utilized to make you holy, do you not see where questions would come into play? What questions then should you have? Why am I not perfectly holy in practice? Now remember, we are, we are holy in what way? In position, all right? In position, we are, right? In position. In practice, we're trash, right? In, in position, we are holy and perfect. But if I, am, if I have this power inside of me, and Christians love to talk about that power. We love to talk about that power. But it's so bizarre we talk about it but nobody ever bothers to go, well, wait a minute, if we have this power, why, why is this sin and this sin? Why, why is 2,000 years of the church a, a story of what? A sin, right? I mean, just open up the, your New Testament. Paul writes to a church in Corinth. What's the story of that church? Sin. Every church, even when you get to Revelation, when you get the message to the churches, Problems, problems, problems. Pro- Why is there constantly constant problems? Because everyone inside those churches are sinning. But I think it's, a, I, I, he says I'm fi- fixated on sanctification. I'm fixated, here's what I'm fixated on. Just because I, I, I love when people tell me what I'm fixated. Don't you love when people who don't know you tell you online what you think and how you feel? It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool power to have, I guess. But I, mean, I don't have said power. But I, if, for those who want to know what I'm actually fixated on, I, well, how would you define what I'm fixated on? Well, I'm fixated on what we claim as Christians and what we actually experience. That's what I've always struggled with. We claim this, but we experience... Remember, what have I always said? There's three kinds of Christianity. Everybody remember my three kinds of Christianity view? See, this is why we are repetitious. There's the Christianity that is sold. That's the infomercial Christianity, right? Come to Jesus and boom, you get power. You'll be a better this and a better that. And your life will be wonderful and life will be great. And, you know, the sun will come out and the birds will sing and there'll be unicorns running by and everything's going to be wonderful and great. Yes? Then there's a the Christianity. That's the, the infomercial. What's the second kind? Yeah, this is why we do repetition. Yeah, I say this all the time. Trust me, all the time. Okay, there's going to be people emailing me going, how many times are you going to say this? Okay, I say this all the time. The second kind is the the kind we pretend to have, right? Because we get the info commercial, so we have to now pretend that we're experiencing this, yes? We, we experience, we pretend that, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit in this and this and this and this. And then there's the third kind. What's the third kind? The reality. What we actually 
experience, what we actually have. And trust me, it's very different than the kind we're pretending and the kind that we're selling. Right? The kind we're selling is never, we try to pretend, but it's not what we actually experience. What we actually experience is a lot of what? Sin and struggle and failure. So my fixation is, why do we sell it this way, but experience this, and yet pretend that it's not the reality that we all know? That's what I'm fixated on. He says I'm fixated on sanctification, no, I'm fixated on the, in the conflict, I'm on the disconnect. He goes, of course, things can hinder the Spirit's power. This does not lessen it. It seems basic to me. He's got it all figured out. Yeah, I'm just good. Now, do you see where my struggle would be? If something is omnipotent, how can then something lessen it, or, hang on, hinder it. He says it doesn't lessen the power, it hinders the power. Well, if it's hindering the power, if I'm hindering the power, what does, which has the greatest? That I have more power than God. Right? Can everyone, can everyone relate to that? If I can hinder God then there's a problem, yes? How do we reconcile that? Now, we do, we do know that there are things in the Bible that speaks of grieving the Spirit, yes? Right? We may find things in the Bible that seems to indicate that maybe we could hinder God, but we have to be very careful how we understand that, because if you're not careful, what are you doing? Well, I don't know if it would go there, but the point is, is you, 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 see, you see the struggle though, right? If God is omnipotent, what does that mean? All powerful. Well, if I can hinder God, what does that say about his omnipotence? Either he's allowing me to hinder him, which that would be problematic, yes. Because if he's allowing me to hinder him, then that means he doesn't really want me that, that raises all kinds of other issues, right? So, lots, lots, of, lots of issues here. Okay, now, he goes on. If there is one of the tiniest sins in your day that you didn't do, that, would have done, that you would have done if you did not have the Spirit, then I'm sorry to tell you, you've experienced sanctification. If there's the tiniest sin that I would have done, but I didn't do because I have the Spirit, then I've I've experienced sanctification. Okay, why is that confusing? Okay. Does everybody understand what was said? Okay, everybody's looking at me like it it made no sense. Right. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Everybody's looking at me like that was a... Okay, maybe I misread it. If there is one of the tiniest sins in your day that you didn't do, that you would have done if you did not have the Spirit, then I'm sorry to tell you, you have experienced sanctification. Okay, well, do what? Okay. Well, the issue is, okay, let's say we define that as sanctification, right? First of all, if so, if I if I w- if I would have done this sin, but I didn't do it because I have the Spirit, then somehow it's sanctification. But like, how do I measure that? Right? Well, I would. I, I think I would have done that, but I didn't do it. But I think I would have. But the reason I didn't do it is because I have the Spirit. Like that. Do you see how? Like, how do I measure that? Is that not very subjective? Oh, I think I would have done this, but I didn't do it, and I didn't do it. It had to be because I have the Spirit. So therefore, I've experienced sanctification. I don't really know what the point is, right? Don't we, don't we all agree that as Christians, we are, we are struggling against sin and we try not to do the things? Like, there's things we try not to do, yes? Do you think there's times we, can, we, we don't do certain things or we do certain things? I, I, I don't know. My issue is, 
My issue isn't like, okay, look, congratulations, you didn't do that one tiny thing. My issue is what? Why did I do anything wrong if I have power? And they're trying to focus on, well, if you didn't do this one little tiny thing, and you would have done it, well, then you've experienced sanctification. Okay. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what's, does anybody understand? I, I don't understand the point that's being made, right? Because I don't think they understand what I'm trying to say. My issue is congratulations, right? You didn't do this sin. Wonderful, great. That's, that's a, what's a wonderful thing? My issue is why did I commit any if I have power? Do you see where my struggle is? I think so. Yeah. I, I, okay, here we go. So we'll continue. Now listen to this. The only reason we want perfection is the sin of pride anyway. So the only reason, the only reason we want to be perfect is because we have the sin of pride. Except it's a command in Scripture. Thank you. Where is that command in Scripture? Okay, find, first of all, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody find it really quick. Everybody find it. Sermon on the Mount. That's between Matthew 5 and 7. Find it. See who can find it first. And then someone else look up in, I think it's in 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy. So find the one in 1 Peter and find the one somewhere between Matthew 5 and 7. Let's just have these down. <laughs> This one, this is where I got confused. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Everybody got that? Matthew 5.48, everybody see that? Right? Everybody have Matthew 5.48 down? Okay, and the other one is 1 Peter, is it 1.15, you said? 1.16? 1 Peter 1.16, everybody look at 1 Peter 1.16, what does it say? Be holy as I am holy. Yeah, be holy in all manner of conversation, and that means in all manner of life. So we're commanded to be holy. Now, what, what is holy? Without sin. And that would be, what would be another word for that? Perfect. So are you saying that if I want to be perfect, that that's a sin? Hey guys, no longer try to be perfect. Don't want it. Don't desire it. Well, if I don't want it and I don't desire it, that means I don't want holiness. And if I don't want holiness, isn't that typically used as a sign that we're not saved? (laughs) I don't want to be Christ-like. I don't know. (laughs) But what's funny is that would mean that I, so every time I desire to be perfect, I'm actually committing a sin. Isn't this, isn't this wonderful so far? Isn't it? All right. And there are, now here we go, and there are free will choices people can, people can resist grace. All right. Now, here we go. Now, this is, this, is, this is important. All right. You can write down the term free will because now we get into a very interesting theological discussion here. All right. And it, it fits perfectly with all of this, this issue. Right now, when we say the will, when someone says the will is free, what would that have to mean for the will to truly be free? What would have to be true for the will to be truly free? All right. Someone said. uh, Everyone said. Stephen said that we would not be free of the sin nature. Now, why would we have to be free of the sin nature to have a free will? Well, where is the will located? Inside of us, yes? All right. What else is inside of us? Sin. Now, if that will is completely free of that sin nature, then what is possible and plausible? Sinless perfection. Why would sinless perfection be possible or plausible? Because you could freely choose it. 
So at that point, what do I not even need? I don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in free will, if you believe free will can supposedly, free will can choose against grace, then free will could choose to obey grace. And if, it could, if it's completely free, that means sin does not restrain it. Right? As teenagers, are you free? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, look, so they're just like, no, unfortunately, I'm not free. I'm, I'm not, I'm enslaved, right? Now, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're free to make some choices, aren't you, right? I mean, they're like, no, I can't even make choices. You can, but what happens? There's other, there's other forces acting upon it, right? There's other forces called parents and bad people, right? Okay, but... The real reality is, even when you become adult, you're not so free, right? You're not fr- so free. It's sad, right? I, what I loved is when I was in the military, people were like, I was so sick of my parents. I joined the military so I could be free. And I'm like, that's, you're about as brilliant as I am. Okay, right? So, yeah, but there's always someone controlling us, right? There's always someone controlling us. You can, you can buy a car. You can pay for the insurance. Right? You're paying for it. You worked for it. It's your car. And you get inside of it, and before you can even start driving, you have to put a seatbelt on because someone else is telling you what you can and cannot do in your own car that you paid for. Is that fair? Okay. That, that means there's a limit to your freedom. Now, I could choose not to, but then if a cop sees me, then I get a ticket, meaning I'm not completely free, right? So there, there's always these restrictions. So when it's just weird that he's talking about, hey, if, you, if, there, if there's one sin that you stop doing, you've experienced sanctification. So he's trying to demonstrate, I guess that means the Spirit did it. The Spirit did. But why do I need the Spirit to do it if he's now going to argue for free will? Because the real argument would be, I freely chose not to do it. I don't need the Spirit. If the will is free, you don't need the Spirit. That was the whole thing about Pelagius, who believed that there could be perfect people. And it's weird that Christians love to say, free will, well then free will freely be perfect. Well, I can't be perfect. If I can't be perfect, what would that mean? I can't be free. Or I'm not free. It's not that I can't be free, that I'm not free. Isn't that weird that they would mention free will? Right? So there's free will. Now, he's going to bring up another issue. Okay, so everyone understand. Free will, if for, for the will to be free, it would have to be free from what? All the sin nature. But if it was truly free, what else would it have to be free from? The control of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's doing something, then it's not free. <laughs> Okay, so is it free? To be free, it would have to be free from what? Everything. That, that raises some questions, does it not? But wait, he's going to go to one more. Here we go. You ready? Now, what makes sense for a Calvinistic determinist to be puzzled why God decrees sin and honestly, that should make them think more than it does. Now, I don't know why he's, he, he constantly keeps throwing in Calvinist here. I, and this entire discussion about law and gospel and about power and no power, have I mentioned anything regarding to Calvinism or Arminianism? The most I've mentioned is Pelagianism, right? I've not gone into this, but he, he, keeps, he has brought this up numerous times and I still don't know why. Like, what's your issue? I haven't mentioned this. But okay, so let's go through this. This, this is complicated in theology, but that's okay. We love having these issues. All right. So I want you to understand free will versus, say, a Calvinistic, deterministic viewpoint. All right. Deterministic or determinism is where something is determining what's going to happen outside of our control. All right. So free will. Well, yeah, well, well, we'll get into all the ways Calvinistic approach. Just if you were to look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith on God's providence, right? What does it say? Uh, everyone grab the Trinity hymnal 
and look up the chapter where it talks about God's providence. It may be providence or it may be under the chapter for decree. It's in the back of the Trinity hymnal. Just so you'll know what I'm referring to. Well, we're not going to get to the thesis, but that's okay. Yeah, we're definitely not. But this gets us into some serious, yeah. Because, you know, I don't want to be too repetitive or anything. So, you know. Okay, and how does that chapter begin? What page? Uh, 851. 851 in the Trinity hymnal. And how does that chapter begin? Okay, now if you look at that chapter, I'll let everybody look at it. Basically, what is that saying? If you were to summarize it in everyday terminology. God determines why it happens. From the least to the greatest. He directs, disposes, governs all creatures. And it's according to whose counsel? His counsel, which is free. Okay, whose will is truly free? God's will. God's will is truly free, right? Nothing can impose anything upon him, right? Whose will isn't free? Ours, because, well, it's in nature. And, well, you could argue because God, but all right, that's a whole different issue. Now, so we understand the issues with free will. Calvinistic determinism, or determinism, the idea that something is being determined by God, God determines everything, it's got its own problems, does it not? I'm not a bit, I mean, look, I'm obviously Calvinistic. Obviously, we hold to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which reads exactly like the Westminster Confession of Faith. But guess what? There are problems with it. What's, what's the problem from a Calvinistic determinism when it comes to sin and struggling with sin and all of these issues? What's the problem with it? We see what free will would say, hey, you can just do it. You don't even need God. What's the problem with Calvinistic determinism when it comes to sin and struggling with sin? Yeah, I don't have any problems with it. Okay, yeah, 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 I mean, I need to talk to you guys. Y'all need to help me. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, he created a world in which sin showed up. Who allowed it? Who decreed it? I mean, there's no way to say he didn't decree it because then it would be something happening outside of his plan. Well, it's been a long time since it's been here, has it not? Okay, so guess what? If God's determining everything that takes place, it's a, it's a look, it's a rational question. I know people get nervous when we ask these questions, but if you, if you get nervous asking these kinds of questions, you probably shouldn't even read the Bible even deal with it because the, the Bible causes you to ask these questions. Because then the, the thing would be, well, wait a minute. If I still have a sin nature and I'm still sinning, well, if God's in charge, what's the obvious question? Why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he, why didn't he intervene? Why didn't he remove the nature? Like, I mean, there's a million questions that come from Cal a Calvinistic determinism that, that we all struggle with. So I, I don't know, like, he's just like, well, a Calvinist shouldn't even struggle. A Calvinist should struggle. Everyone should struggle. I, 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 this person just seems to think he can tell everyone how I guess we are to think, but you can't tell me how to think, right? I can understand a theology, but understanding a theology does not mean that it gives us what? All the answers. The theology is the never-ending pursuit of an answer which you're never going to find. Okay, I don't people like, that's not how I learned theology. It's the way it is. Because if, if you go with free will, do you not have a problem? Calvinistic determinism, do you not have a problem? So then you're like, what's the answer? I have no answer. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But it, it says, now I, know it makes, now, it, now I know it makes sense for a Calvinistic determinist to be puzzled why God decrees sin. And honestly, that should make them think more than it does. Well, I, how do you know how much it makes them think? Like, I, it's so like, the arrogance there. Like, you don't know how much I think, okay? I mean, you guys know I think about these issues 
all the time, okay? That's why I'm so repetitive about them. So you know, may, maybe the reason I'm so repetitive about them is because I think about them all the time. Now, listen here. He goes, but grace does not necessarily override free will for those of us who maintain the integrity of God's character and avoid making him the author of evil. So grace does not override free will. Well, it, it, it couldn't override free will because if it all ri- override free will, it would not be free. <laughs> okay, so that doesn't, make any, doesn't even make any sense. But the key is the will completely free. If the will is free, what does it not need? Doesn't need grace, doesn't need God, because it can just freely, what would, what would the will need? Just a motivation to do it. Hey, do right. Anyone ever raised a child? Right? You, 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 you talk to the child, look, look, here's the deal, okay? It's Monday, you're not at school, I'm off work. Okay, let's just have a let's just have a good day. So it's very simple. Just follow these rules. Your life is good. My life is good. So now you're using reason, right? You try to reason with them, right? It's simple. It'll make everybody's life great. Okay, good. And then 30 minutes later, what are you doing? Right? I would ask you. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Keeping you awake. Okay, right? But and you're and you're like, so sometimes reasoning with them is about as effective as talking to a wall, right? It's, it doesn't do anything. So then you may have the threat of punishment, right? You do that one more time, stopping the car, coming to the back seat, and ending your life. Does that fix it? No. They may go, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then the minute you're not looking, they continue doing whatever they're doing in the back seat. So threat of punishment doesn't work. Reason, threat of punishment Now, you, you, you can only come to a couple of conclusions, right? That they freely, on their own, there's nothing, they just freely don't want to do the right thing, right? Okay. That's good. That's good. Thank you, Bill. Right? It, it's, you, you freely just choose to do that. Now, you would think at some point in 2,000 years of church history that somebody would have been like, well, wait a minute, I, I freely choose to obey God but it doesn't seem that anybody can pull that off, which would seem to indicate that the free will problem has a problem. Yes? Because we, in other words, you could just go to a lost person and say, here's God's laws. And as long as they are willing to do it, they can do what? But we, someone just said, you don't, read the entire Old Testament. It's a story of what? God's law. And then what's the re- reaction to God's law over and over and over and over again? Wait, they even said they would obey it. How long did that last? Not very long. It didn't take long before they were doing what? Dancing around a golden calf, right? Before long, everyone was doing what was right in their, their own eye. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they did not last very long. Why not? We would say because they have a sin nature. And the sin nature, what does the sin nature produce? Just remember, what's, what, everyone knows the mathematical formula, right? You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. What comes first, the sin or the, the sin nature? The sin nature. The sinful action flows from the sinful nature. Does that make sense? So free will has a million problems. Calvinistic determinism has a million problems. Because you're like, well, wait a minute. Why did God determine? Why? 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 Like, I don't understand that. The only good thing about the, the Calvinistic determinism one is like, we don't have to understand why God did it. Because God is not in the business of necessarily telling us why. Did he tell Job why? Well, if he didn't tell Job why, then what should I expect? Same, all right? He, uh, he says, we grow in grace and put to death the sinful body. Well, if, do we put to death the sinful body? Well, if we put to death the sinful body, then what should be the end result of that? 
And why do I have to put to death the sinful body if my will is absolutely free? Can I just choose not to? So why would I be engaged in a war? Because my will is absolutely free. That, you see the conflict here? Elsewhere, you seem to claim that there is no change in the sinful nature, completely unbiblical. What the Spirit does is called fruit, comparing to gradual growth. And that growth takes time and can start small. So he's saying, there's no change. So I do believe there's no change to the sinful nature. And he says that's unbiblical. Well, okay, great. If you want to say there's change to the sinful nature, but yet he still says it's going to be slow and small and we have to fight against it. So here's his view. Your will is completely free. Your nature has been changed. But you're still going to sin and you're still going to struggle. Do you see how utterly weird that is? If my will is completely free and my nature has been changed, then you should be what? Basically perfect. I come along and I say my will isn't free because I still have a sin nature and I don't believe the sin nature has changed. I believe it's still very much there and present. So therefore what should, you think about it, if you take his formula and take my formula, we can test them, right? If the will is free and the nature is changed, what should be the result? Near perfection. If the will isn't free and the nature isn't changed, what should be the result? Constant sin. What do we constantly see? I would say that my, my system can be tested and proven to be reality. Agreed? Okay, maybe you disagree. I mean, maybe. That's what he says. Right? I mean, like, yeah, he would say yes. He would say yes. And, and again, if you want to believe in a change, by all means, believe in it. Go for it. Like, I've never, look, my, you know how, what have I always said about this issue? You want to believe there's a change? You want to believe you have power? Do what? Go do it. We don't need to fight about it. Go do it. But for some weird reason, the people want to fight with me to tell me that I'm wrong. Why do you want, why are you so worried about telling me that I'm wrong? Right? Because if you're right, then guess what's happened inside of me? If I'm truly saved, you don't need to fight with me because guess what I have? A free will and a changed nature and I have power. You don't need to tell me that, right? Like, why would you try to convince me of that being true? It would just be true without me. You would be like, man, he doesn't understand how much power he's got. He doesn't understand how free his will is. He doesn't understand. He just doesn't understand how much... Look, look, at some point, it it would just... Don't worry about it, right? And if you've got it, go for it. I, my thing is, just go for it. Just prove me wrong. Be, be perfect. And if you can be perfect... But every time people have this argument, guess what ultimately shows up in their life? Sin. <laughs> because that's what happens. Then, one more. See if we can at least finish this one out. He goes, uh, you keep creating a false dichotomy. That free will influence on grace is all or nothing, and it's annoying. Well, I'm sorry you're annoyed, okay? Why should you be annoyed? You have a free will, just choose not to be annoyed, right? I mean, is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say, right? I know you can freely choose not to listen. I know you can definitely do that, but okay, all right. Um, So he says, I'm creating a false dichotomy. That free will influence on grace is all or nothing. If the will is free... Isn't it all or nothing? It's either free or it isn't. Right? Is, there, is, there, is there different levels of freedom? I guess there's different levels of freedom. I don't know exactly how that works. He's saying, I'm creating the dichotomy of all or nothing. That, it, that I'm creating that. That free will or, yeah, that... Basically, you have the power or you don't have the power. He goes on, There are times that for some reason beyond my control, 
There are times that for some reason beyond my control, I may not be able to stop action X with my free will. But there are times it may be within my power at the grace level and I'm a uh, level I'm at. So now you can have, be at different levels of grace, but there's times he doesn't know why he can't stop an action with his free will. Then your will's not free. Does that, am I, he says, I'm the one creating the false dichotomy. It doesn't make any sense. Hey, your will's free, Mary, but for some reason you couldn't stop that action. So, I, I, I don't understand. I, I, you, I wish I had a completely free will, don't you? Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't seem too, too yeah, I don't seem, you're like, whatever, I don't really care one way or the other, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, I mean, don't you wish you had a free will, completely free? Okay, I mean, I, I would hope so, okay. Um, and I don't know what grace level you're at, okay. It's not all or nothing. That's a false proposition. The influence of the sin nature, so he still believes the sin nature is there. <laughs> oh, man. But it's supposedly changed. I, I don't know exactly. Demonic influence, past ingrained habits, natural weaknesses, lack of knowledge, wound, woundedness, free will choices, grace blocking sins, or other unknown things can all influence the current grace level. But amidst all of these things, it's a fundamental choice that can be made deep inside to accept or reject the current grace level. So you're at a current grace level, and you can choose whether to accept it or not accept it. But at the same time, he just admitted that there's times you may not be able to stop doing something with your free will. Does anybody even understand what that paragraph supposedly means? That supposedly proves I'm all wrong about everything. I, I don't get it. So let's try to summarize this way. Right, because I just I, I don't understand the confusion. Right, so everyone understands that if we go with a free will perspective, does everyone understand the logical implications of a free will perspective? If the will is free, then it can freely choose to obey God's law, and it does not need what? Doesn't need grace. Doesn't need the Holy Spirit. Doesn't need anything because it is absolutely free. It would have to, well, to be fair, it would need a couple of things, to be fair. It would need to know the law, right? Can't keep it if you don't know it. So you'd have to have instruction. But other than that, doesn't need anything really, right? You could just freely choose to do it. I mean, you'd have to know it, obviously, right? Does that make sense? Right? So once you know it, then you can freely do it. And if you, if you can freely do it, then I, I, I don't know how you can say you can freely do it, but there are times that you may not be able to stop doing something because free will is not good. I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I don't even understand that. Do, do, you, do you feel that it's unfair to say that free will is all or nothing? Do you feel that that's, if it's free, do you believe that's an all or nothing proposition? I believe it. I, I don't know how it couldn't be an all or nothing proposition. Because if it's free, but there's a limit to the freedom, then by definition, it's not free. You, you see, and this is very important because this is the same thing I have a struggle with. If you've ever gone to church, you'll hear, you've heard this preached a million times. Jesus came to set you free. And they say, you're free from what? Everyone knows this sermon. Everybody has heard it preached a million times. You're free from the condemnation of sin. You're free from the penalty of sin. And then what else? The power of sin. Have you heard that? Does that preach good? Because it's three points. If it's three points, it's got to be true. Now, what would be then the ramifications of that statement? If we're free from the power of sin, what would be the logical conclusion? We should be able to stop sinning. And stop sinning how? Now, anytime I say that, this person gets frustrated and says, that's a false dichotomy, and you're annoying me. And I'm like, um, no. I think that makes sense. If I'm free from the power of sin, but then you tell me I cannot be perfect, and I cannot stop sinning completely, then you just told me there's a limit to my freedom. Therefore, I'm not completely free. 
Right. Well, I'm just trying to deal with the reality that if one little step, I'm all for one little step. Aren't we all for one little step? Yes. I'm, I'm, every time I don't commit sin A, I'm glad. Even if I committed sin B, I'm still glad that I committed sin A. Is not everyone happy with that? Don't we, shouldn't we all strive for it? What I don't like is pretending that that now proves that I have some great power when clearly I don't, or that I have some freedom when clearly I don't. I try to show the reality of the situation. Everyone wants to say, well, wait, 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 wait. I, I didn't do that sin. Well, great. I, do I, I mean, if you came to me and said, man, I, I didn't commit this sin. Has I, have I ever said to someone, like, well, that's disappointing. Why did you stop doing that sin? You know how much I love for you to continue sinning. I mean, I, I, have you ever heard me say that? Okay, could y'all say loudly? No. Okay. Okay. I've never said that, right? But that's how it sometimes people view it. That you're just like, well, you should just sin. I'm never saying that. What do I? What does the Bible say? When the Bible says something, or what do I say? In agreement with Scripture, the when the Bible calls something a sin, it's a sin. Are we to do it? No. Are we to pursue it? No. Are we to avoid it? Yes. Are we to strive against it? Yes. But what do I know is a fact? We're still going to sin. I just want that reality to be more acknowledged. That even if I stop A, what am I doing? B, C, D, E, F, G. Okay, y'all know the alphabet. You get the idea, right? I'm going to be, I'm still going to be committing these other sins. So then therefore, what does this lead to in my mind? Well, then it's hard for me to look to my actions to prove my salvation because I can always find enough actions that would call to question my salvation. So what should I look to? The imputed righteousness of Christ. What's the basis of my salvation? The imputed righteousness of Christ. Where is my assurance come from? The imputed righteousness of Christ. What's the, my motivation? The imputed righteousness of Christ. But it's, people want to argue with me over, like, how much power. It, it's really, I, I, I've, I've kind of just no longer understand anymore. Because people want to argue with me over a limited amount of power. Right? It would be like, you guys come in, and me and Sarah are having a big back and forth argument. And she's like, we've got power! And I'm like, we don't have any power. No, we have power. And then y'all keep listening. And she's basically arguing for the evidence of 50% power. And I'm arguing over the, the evidence of no power. Is it really worth a fight over 50% power? Because there's no way she would acknowledge that we have 100% power because that would mean we are sinless. So you would agree that we're not, I, we would be in agreement, right? We're not sinless. But you would be like, but there's got to be a change. There's got to be a change. I'm like, okay, well then, look, why, why are we fighting? I don't, I, I just argue that we're, we're, we're we, I don't know of any power that we have, supposedly have. And I know there's scriptures that would seem to indicate we do. Fine, go for it. I mean, couldn't we be, shouldn't we be able to coexist? You claim you have power? Okay, go, sir, go live out your power. And if I'm truly saved, you don't have to convince me to have the power because guess what? I have the power. So it would manifest itself, right? So then we're like, what's the fight? We're fighting over like, if you want to believe there's power, go for it. I, like, I, I have no problem. I have no problem. You may hear me preach against it or, or make arguments, but I don't care. Go live it. Does, does it stop your power? No, it doesn't stop your power. Doesn't stop your power. In any, if I argue against it, does it? It doesn't stop your power. You can go like, man, he's just—he's crazy. I'm going to go home and show my power and show my family how how I'm fifty percent more godly than he is because I have fifty percent more power. But the reality is, you wouldn't even have fifty percent more power. I, you would just have the exact same power I have, but you're acknowledging it, and I'm in denial of it. But my denial of the power would not change the power, right? It wouldn't change the existence of it. I can deny the power of electricity, but it ain't what? It's still there, yes? I guess I can walk around and not turn on the lights. 
but the power is still there. So if the power is in me, then it's like, I, it's just weird that I don't understand what people want to fight with me about. I don't understand why there's such conflict and why, like, I, I don't get it. Like, okay, you've got power. Congratulations. Go live it out. I'm calling it into question. I guess it can bother somebody, but I mean, why? Just do it, right? I mean, your, your Christian life can still be what you want it to be. And I, and I got no problem admitting that you're more godly than me. I mean, if that's what people need to hear, like, okay, you're more godly than me. Congratulations. I don't really care. You're better than me. Good. I don't care. Like, it's not a competition with me. If you want to be more godly than me, then be more godly than me. I don't care. It's just a weird, it's a weird situation that I found myself that we bring this up and people get nervous. And I don't like, what do you get? Does, does my challenging of it change the power that you have? No. Right? If, if, if you have phones, right? If you have a phone charger, I'm like, that phone charger, it won't charge your phone. It won't charge your phone. It doesn't 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 charge your phone. You're like, you're wrong. No, I'm right. You're wrong. You just go do what? It's working pretty good. Does it change the power of your, the charger to charge your phone? No. <laughs> so, it, I mean, I don't, would you argue a lot with me about that? How many people would argue a lot if I said your charger doesn't charge your phone? What would you probably do? Do what? You're like, you're an idiot and just move on. And your phone would still be charged. And if, and if you saw me, I'm like, my iPad's not working. I wonder why it won't work. I wonder why it won't work. I think the battery's dead. I guess I got to buy a new one. You may say, uh... Remember that charger that doesn't work? Just plug it in. So I guess when you find me sinning, you could be like, hey, use the charger and you'll sin less. I guess you could tell me that, right? Now, you would have to be prepared for me to come to you when you fall into sin and go, what could then I turn around and say? Why didn't you use your power? Like you could tell me, you should use your power, and I could tell me, why didn't you use your power? But you know what I know is going to be true of you and me? What do you think? We're both going to sin. I say, I, I'll, I'll go to Vegas and put money on it. That's how sure I am. I'll, put, I'll, I'll take out a loan. I'll take out a loan for a million and go put a million down. Like I put, you're putting a million on what? They're going to sin. When? I probably already did, okay? but probably a couple of seconds. And you know how I know they're going to sin? Because as soon as I put the money down, I'm like, do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And are you holy as God is holy? And guess what I'm going to find out about those three things? You're not. And if you're not, what does that mean? Ding, ding, ding. Now I'm rich. There we go. You say, because if you have power, what, I, I just gave you three areas to prove that you have power. Those are three very objective areas, right? That's not subjective. That's very objective. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. I've yet to see the people who claim to have power pull that off. They say, well, I love God more than I did. Well, congratulations. That text doesn't say love him more than you did. That text says to love him perfectly. Well, I'm not as holy, I'm not as holy as I should be, but I'm holier than I was. No, no, there's not levels of holiness. Holiness is completely separate and apart from sin. So there's not, there's not separation there. So the whole thing just seems to make, you know, I don't understand the struggle. Now, you may struggle with the whole concept, and I can, I can understand, but I want to make sure everyone here knows that if you struggle with my perspective, you're free, to, you're free to use the power. I'm not telling you not to use the power you may think you possess. I'm not telling you to, to not use the freedom. You may believe that you have the freedom. Then go use it. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to sit back and go, 
All I ask of you is when you keep sinning, just be honest about the reality in your own life. Don't deny it. Don't pretend. I think I talked about, y'all have someone that y'all know that instead of calling it a sin, they refer to it as a mistake. Yeah. And why, and why do they refer to it as a mistake? They need sinless perfection so they can refer to now sins as a mistake, so therefore they're not sinning. Well, how convenient. That's what I can't stand. That's what I can't stand. All right, we'll have to stop that there. Well, God, we come before you this morning. These are complicated issues that for some reason, it's almost like having two conversations in two different languages, and there, there doesn't seem to be any ability to, to meet in the middle, not just with the individuals online, but everywhere dealing with this subject. Lord, I hope we can just all acknowledge that we have a sin nature, we continue to sin, and our only hope is not in what we can or can't do, but in what your son accomplished for us perfectly. Help us cling to that as we continue to struggle with these issues and as we advance this discussion more and more over the next couple of months. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.